Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. We run out one of the caves in Moet and we have this amazing six course dinner there paired with vintage champagne. Vintage champagne is like champagne aged over eight years, sometimes more. So it's like the best bubbly you've ever had. The food's amazing. And we walk and we do a black tie event. So just imagine like everyone in black tie and these long gowns. We've got the R&B hip hop flowing. We've got the food and magnum bottles, big bottles of champagne by the the host that's there in a tuxedo who's pouring it. It's pretty epic. Not to mention going to Hennessy. It blows your mind. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers. And learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Claire Soares. She is the founder and CEO of Up in the Air Life, a multi million dollar luxury travel company that primarily serves the African American community. Up in the Air Life organizes five-star group travel experiences to some of the world's most epic locations. Claire believes in doing what you love, being who you are, and living life out loud. As a former sales executive at a Fortune 500 company, Claire founded Up in the Air Life in 2013 and built it to over $1 million in revenue in under five years. Today, Claire coaches other entrepreneurs on how to break away, go against the grain, and build a seven-figure business. Claire has been named one of the Airbnb inaugural Black Travel Leaders, and she has been featured in Essence, Ebony, USA Today, The Huffington Post, and many other publications. Claire, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I am so excited to have you here. This is going to be an awesome conversation, but let's just set the scene here and talk about where we are today and that we've agreed to have a wine party for this discussion and what we are drinking. So I'll go first. I'm actually on the East Coast of the U.S. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, and I have just poured a glass. This is a red blend from the Canary Islands. So it's a pretty interesting glass of wine, and I'm enjoying it very much. Where are you today, Claire, and what are you drinking? 
I am in Mexico, Playa del Carmen, Mexico, about an hour south of Cancun, and I am drinking an Italian wine. I'm drinking a Rosso that is from Cinquantasete that my dear friend who lives in Naples brought me a couple months ago. It's pretty good. I love that. That's amazing. One of my very good Italian friends just posted a picture of herself yesterday in (laughs) Napoli at Sorbillo, which is arguably the best Neapolitan pizza place in the world. And I was so, (laughs) I was just like, I want to go back. (laughs) I love Napoli. I love Italy. I love the wine. I love the espresso. I love the whole thing. So that's amazing. Yes. The water, everything, everything about Napoli is just beautiful. It's so special. And I feel like Napoli is one of the most, in my opinion, I mean, tell me what you think. I feel it's one of the most underrated places, certainly in Italy and possibly in all of Europe. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of people that speak negatively about Napoli or like, oh, you know, you don't need to go there, you know, because it has a very different vibe than a lot of the other places that people go in Italy. But I think it is just it's so rich and authentic and gritty and raw and has perhaps the best food in all of Italy. I would agree with you. I mean, it's it's definitely one of, you know, and this is the issue too with travel in general, that a lot of times the cities that get the most traffic are not the best cities. They're the cities that have the best marketing. And so, you know, there's definitely a lot of history in Napoli. You've got, I think it's Mount Vesuvio that's across the street. Yep. Or volcano that erupted and they've got all that and Capri's right around the way. But the city itself is so magical, so beautiful. I spent a whole day there when I visited my friend and I wish I could have stayed longer. But it's definitely one of those places to explore. And it reminds me of Florence in Italy. Like a lot of people go to Rome, but I just feel like Florence is just so magical. I love Florence every time I can go. I want to stay multiple days and I usually stay around the Duomo when I go. So there's so many different cities to your point that are magic. Yeah, that's very true. And very different vibes. I mean, one of the things I love about Italy that I think makes it such a unique country is that there are so many different places in Italy that are so fundamentally different. And of course, Mm -hmm. there's a whole history as to why that would be the case. But I lived in Sicily a few years back for about a month. Yeah, I just spent a month posted up in Ortigia in Sicily. And it was just absolutely enchanting. I mean, it was so special, but it was so different from the vibe in Rome or Florence or Venice or Milan. You know, all of these places have their own vibes and they have their own cultural history and things that are distinct from other places in Italy. So even in the same country, you know, what's today the same country, it wasn't always the same country, right? Mm -hmm. But what's today the same country, you travel around and you just get all these different vibes. Spain is very similar, very different cultural histories and traditions in different parts of that country. So yeah, I miss it. We're under quarantine now in the coronavirus era, but boy, do I miss that travel. (laughs) Listen, I just went to Florida from Mexico this past weekend because I had booked a masterclass. It was my first time traveling for, you know, within like the last nine months. So when I got on the plane, I text my friends in all caps, I'm so happy that I'm finally on an airplane. There, I got it out. And they were just dying laughing. It's your identity up in the air, Claire. It's who you are. It's what you do. So that's amazing. Exactly. Let's go back now a little bit. I want to get into some of your origin story and maybe just start Mm -hmm. off with where you grew up. And as you were growing up, when you think back, how did your interest in travel initially come about? Yeah. So I grew up in a small town in Woodbridge, Virginia, which is about 45 minutes to an hour from D.C., 
Um, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is where my parents are from. And my dad was in the army. And so that brought us to the Fort Belvoir area where the military base is. Growing up, I grew up in the suburbs and I was always the only black girl, typically in class. And throughout high school, I was really involved in like leadership, you know, class president almost every year. And I was a cheerleader and track runner. And I got into trip planning when I was a senior class president. I planned a trip for us to travel to New Jersey, Six Flags for our senior field trip. And that's actually where it started. I had to fill out this special approval for us to go and we got approval and we took our whole senior class. I planned out the budget, the t-shirts, everything. So it's literally in my blood. Um, I've always been the hype person. So starting from there to like freshman year of college, I was planning trips from Pitt to Penn State. So I've always been planning trips. It's always been something I've loved to do that I was naturally good at, which is bringing people together and then leading the way. So that's kind of like the sweet beginnings of things, how they got started. Up in the Air Life started because there was the Yacht Week in Croatia. And so I was in several travel groups and someone tagged me and said, hey, can you put something together for this, for us to go? And that's how we started Up in the Air Life. It was literally off of bigcartel.com. We created a link to join me for Yacht Week and people pay their money on Big Cartel, their deposit. And I had 16 people book and that was my first trip. I created a company off that when I initially was going to create a travel blog. So what were you doing at the time? Let's talk about that. So you took us kind of up through college. And then at that point, I'm also interested in your entrepreneurial tendencies. You're obviously the founder and CEO of a very successful company right now. But what was your path to getting there? Did you have those entrepreneurial tendencies early or what was sort of your professional path to getting there? So that's a really good question that a lot of people don't ask me. My first business was a company called The Lower Mowers. And I was a teenager and I created this company where we mowed people's grass and I branded us Lower Mowers. I created marketing flyers and we would literally go down the neighborhood and we made a lot of money mowing people's grass because not only did we mow their grass, I figured out that other people weren't picking up the grass or sweeping after or, you know, raking the grass. So we did extra customer service to not only get more business, but to actually get tips and get repeat customers. So that was my first business. And my professional experience was in training and sales. And so in the last decade, when I was in corporate, I worked for a Fortune 500 company where I started doing training. And within six months, the salesperson who was the director there was like, I want you to work in sales. And so it's interesting, my sales career at this organization, I worked on some of the largest deals the company ever closed from the U.S. federal government. It was like a $3 billion deal. I worked with the Google deal, the Microsoft deal. And what happened was I learned how my company was packaging software packages together. I managed customer service. So I learned how to deal with clients, how to make them happy, how to sell things to them. And so I ended up using all those skills to build up in the air life. Because that's one thing a lot of people ask me, like, how did you learn how to do this? And how did you know what would make things different? Well, I knew that a lot of travel companies sucked at customer service. I knew that they didn't know how to position. And so in all my years of sales, I knew how to position the software I was selling. So I basically applied those same skills into positioning this travel company. And I branded a concept that we were going to charge a low monthly rate 
so people can book this luxurious vacation because nobody was selling luxury. Everyone was selling, you know, low-end hotels or budget because everyone thought that's all that African-Americans could afford. What I realized shortly into it was that there was a large market for luxury high-end travel and that a lot of working professionals, they were tired of staying at like three stars. They wanted to have the full five-star experience, but we didn't know how. Entrance me, because in working in sales for a Fortune 500 company, I worked with people that were in the top two percenters that were making over a half a million to a million dollars a year in sales. So these are people that were fairly rich or wealthy, whatever you want to call it, that were successful in their jobs, that when I would travel with them, I learned about fine wine, fine dining. And then when we would go on our sales promotional trips, when you're in sales, they take you on these things called president's club trips. And this is how they treat the salespeople like gold. They treat you like kings and queens. And they put you up at these elaborate hotels in Hawaii or other places in the world. And you literally come back to your room with handwritten notes from the CEO. One note that I'll never forget was, hey, tomorrow Tiffany's is going to be in the lobby. So go out there and pick anything you want. I was like, what? Or I would come back to my room and there would be a video camera, a GoPro, brand new or there'd be like some other expensive electronic gift. And so I took that concept and I said, you know what? A lot of the black professionals I know in America, we only get two weeks vacation, three weeks vacation. So how about I take a concept where someone can not have to do a lot of work, but take an amazing trip where they're treated like gold and have a really phenomenal time and meet other people who look like them. And that was the foundation of how Up In The Air Life was created. That is so amazing. I have like a lot of questions that I'm, I'm trying to think about which direction to go here. That's so, that's, no, because you sparked so many things. I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Like, I want to ask about this and this and this. I just want to interject in your story, just ask you this. And when you mentioned fine dining and all these different experiences that you've had, do you have one dining experience that stands out that you can share that is just so memorable? It was like mind blowing and, and crazy. Man, there's a couple, but I'll give you two. One of my memorable ones when I was learning it was there was one sales rep I work with and his name was Benedetto Nicosia and he was an Italian guy, very classy. And when I went with him on sales meetings, he would always take me to the best places and he would treat me like gold. And I'll never forget one restaurant we went to. He ordered so much stuff. He ordered steaks. He ordered oysters. He ordered enough stuff so I can try all of the things that he thought was worthy of trying. He ordered the best wine that he thought was available. And he really taught me how to show people that you care. And he taught me the importance of experience. Now, my best dining experience was in Geneva, Switzerland, when I went to the Bayview restaurant, which is a Michelin rated restaurant. And I had about, I don't know, 12, 13 course meal by myself. It was absolutely amazing and paired with wine. And I remember one course, they brought out a box for me to choose my specialty knife that I wanted for the course. I actually still have the pictures from that meal on my (laughs) Facebook account, but that was probably the most elaborate meal that stands out because Geneva is just bomb. Geneva is like over the top. It's beautiful. That hotel I stayed at, which is called the President Wilson Hotel, and it's right on the river. That hotel just blew my mind. The lobby itself had this see-through fireplace that you could see through from different, from one room to the next. 
And I remember they served fagua with thick pieces of salt and butter on the bread. Like everything was just bomb. Amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I relate to a lot of that because I also learned about food and learned about wine through traveling with people that knew about food and wine. And I would go with them and they would teach me about this stuff and I would learn to appreciate these different things. And so, you know, over time, you start to really appreciate and be willing to spend money on different things. You know, so for me, you know, these days, it's a lot less about spending money on material items and much more about spending money on high end experiences. I mean, for me, probably the most craziest dining experience that I've had is I went to the Akalare restaurant, which is a three Michelin star restaurant in San Sebastian in the Basque country. And I went with a friend of mine who really, really, really wanted to see this and experience this. And it's exactly as you said, right? It's like a you know seven hour plus dinner. And then you have the wine pairing, which costs as much as the food because they pair you a, a wine with every course and they bring a cheese plate and they pair you different wines with different pieces of cheese. And it's literally at that level, right? And then it's 450 bucks a person for the the food and the wine. And, you know, a number of years ago, I would think that anybody that would spend $450 on a dinner would be crazy, right? Yes. Why would you do that? But now I'm like, you know what? That $450 that I paid for that seven or eight hour long experience where I tasted things that I've never even tasted things similar to that before. And I drank the best wine of my life and the whole just ambiance and customer service experience was so crazy. I'm talking about that $450 dinner so many years later and still telling people stories about how extraordinary <laughs> it was versus yes. 450 bucks that you drop on some material item that is is like, you know, in your closet now or whatever, you know? Yes. Yes. I totally agree. For me, life is definitely full of a lot of experiences. It's not just about staying at a nice hotel. It's how I feel when I'm at this luxurious hotel and how I'm treated and I don't have to worry about anything and I'm catered to. Totally. So that's amazing. So let's go back to your story, though, because I'm curious. You were a very successful salesperson at a major, major company. You were crushing it. You were doing extremely well. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose to transition to becoming an entrepreneur out of the corporate world? Because I feel like in the corporate world, a lot of people, they go that direction, they almost get sucked in, right? For the reasons that you're saying, you're like, wow, I get to experience these types of things and meet these people and have these experiences and I'm making all of this money because I'm very successful. And that is very seductive to a lot of people. So for you, what was that transitionary experience, like both the decision-making about it and then also how did you facilitate the transition to being a business owner? So I started my company in 2013 while I was still employed. So I definitely recommend for people to start while they still have a job because you can use your job to pay for the outsourcing of your business. One of the reasons I think a lot of entrepreneurs are not able to grow their business quickly is they're not investing in their business. They have a great idea and then they decide to do everything themselves which feels a little backwards, especially if you're working full time. I think that you should invest in yourself. If you can't invest in yourself, who else will? So if you're working a full-time job, hire a business coach to accelerate you creating your business. Hire someone to professionally do your website. You know, without having that expert who can kind of walk you through, I hear people talking about, well, I'm going to create my website on Wix. I'm going to do this. And I'm like, but you can go to Creative Market and download an amazing template on WordPress that is much more scalable, 
has way more functionality. But if you don't have experts who have already done this before, you're literally just kind of trying to figure it out. So for me, I started when I had a job. I invested probably at least over $100,000, I feel like over seven years into my business and many different things, marketing myself. And then the transition between quitting my job, what I did was made sure I had an 18-month ramp. An 18-month ramp for me was I had enough to pay my bills and my rent for 18 months. Why? Because when I moved abroad, I didn't want to have to worry. I didn't want to have to work. So I had enough money saved for over a year that I could do nothing but put my feet in the beach. But because I moved abroad, I also cut a lot of my expenses. So then all of a sudden, you know, if you go from a three to $4,000 rent and then you move abroad where your rent could be anywhere from 500 to 1500, depending on, you know, what level of luxury you'd like, you now have a lot more money you can actually invest in your business to hire your dream team. So that transition to me was just a decision that, I actually left my corporate job because I had hit a glass ceiling. I also left it because ultimately I felt disrespected. And there were some things that happened where I felt like I was mistreated. I felt like I was passed over for promotion. I felt that I was ultimately treated unfairly when I looked at my counterparts. I literally spent over 10 years at a company that I could not even get promoted to be a director. Like when I would apply I would be told things like, oh, well, you should do this. You should do that. But I would see another peer who happened to be white. Literally, like I saw this one girl come in who came as a customer who operated the software and she literally rose up the ranks. And I'm like, how is it that I'm consistently a top selling sales rep, but I'm told I need to do this and I'm told to do that. So at a certain point when I looked around, there wasn't anyone who really looked like me. And when they did have a few people that did, those people left in less than 18 months. They never would stay. And so I literally just hit a point where I was in a very premier role and there was a younger white gentleman that had joined my team. And literally six months later, they told me that my role had ended. And I was like, well, if my role ended, how does this guy who just joined the team get to stay? So that was like a weird moment that I was like, um, let me get my severance package. And then all of a sudden it got escalated up the chain. Like, oh no, 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 we're not laying you off. And I'm like, well, that's what it sounds like. That happened in my last eight months. And literally like within like the next, I don't know, year I, I was gone. I went on a leave of absence. During that leave, I got pregnant, lost the baby. And at that point, it felt like life was like over for me. I didn't know what I wanted. Like everything got reset. So I went to a phase of, being excited to have a baby to only a few months later, losing the baby right before the three month mark. And that was like a really tough blow because not only did I lose the baby, but I wasn't happy with my job. And when you give so much of yourself to a job and then all of a sudden I felt betrayed, it was like the end. And so I had decided when I was planning on coming back, I decided that I was going to quit in six months. And exactly six months later, I quit. I didn't have a lot of plans, but I knew I had enough money saved so that I didn't have to work. And that was it. It was in the first year. Um, that's when we had our million dollar year and we toppled two million, you know, last year. This would have been our five million dollar year because we've been exponentially growing every year if it wasn't for COVID. But luckily, I'm glad that we had COVID because it really forced me to reevaluate who I am. Because when it first happened, 
I had to go through a very uncomfortable feeling of like, okay, well, who am I? Literally in my head, I'm like, if I'm not the CEO of this multi-million dollar company, I always talk about, if I'm not that, what am I? And so there was this period of very being uncomfortable for a couple months. And then I remember I was just like not productive and not really doing anything. And my friend said, what do you like to do? And I said, I don't know. And so I went back to cooking. I figured out that I love cooking. And once I got into my, I tapped into my creative side, I remembered, oh yeah, like I'm supposed to be coaching. I always wanted to be a teacher. This is like my legacy stuff. So I literally have transitioned into a coaching business, which is where I have always been supposed to be. That's amazing. Can you talk a little bit about how you built up in the air life and how that grew and scaled and just sort of the story of that business? You mentioned it all started with the Yacht Week in Croatia. And from there, can you talk about your path and how you built it to a seven-figure company? Yeah. So one of the things that was key to our growth was I believe it was my approach to how I build the company. And what I did was when I thought back to my sales job, I thought about how did my company grow? They grew because they had a field sales team. So I thought about how do I create a field sales team at a small self-funded organization? And I came up with this idea that if I had an army of basically field sales reps that could host events in their city and we can host these meaningful experiences people that believed in the brand, people that were also awesome, amazing people. How do I create this army and connect with them and do amazing things for them that they feel included in this startup company that I was creating? And so I basically created an events team. And the goal was to get all 50 states. I think at one point we had 12 to 14 different events. Like We called them lifestyle coordinators. And they were amazing people that created events for the company. And at the events, it was also a feeder system where they also got paid when people booked trips with us. So, you know, one girl would host this like Ethiopia. She hosted an Ethiopian wine experience. So clients got to learn about Ethiopia Ethiopian wine. We also did lifestyle things like the Kentucky Derby or the Derby out in uh, California. So they all did a lot of meaningful things like, you know, culture things like trap karaoke, I believe was one of the events in New York. But in this process, it basically allowed us to touch people exponentially in all those different states when we created those events. And what we saw was When people attended the events, they were curious about the trips. When they attended a trip, most people tell a few of their friends that they had this amazing time. And then the company starts on an exponential growth path because you have all these people having these wonderful experiences that are not as common. And so that combined with under-promising and over-delivering was a key recipe to our success. So like on most trips... We don't tell you everything that's included. So like you can be on a trip and then there'll be some surprises, some additional things you'll get. And so people in general feel like they get so much for what they paid for. They feel like the customer service is amazing and they feel like they don't need to really do anything other than to show up. So a lot of that was the work we did to create a brand with a cult-like following. 
That's amazing. I want you to be able to talk about now some of your actual trips and actual experiences and just give an example or two of even things that just stand out to you as highlights or really epic moments that you've had on one of these experiences. I mean, this is incredible stuff. So I want you to be able to go through it. You know, I've, I've looked at your website pretty extensively and the itineraries and, and the types of things that you organize, but just give folks a feel for what are some of these trips like? Awesome. So I think right now, I love all the trips that we do. My favorite trip at the moment is definitely our South Africa trip. I feel like we've completely outdone ourselves on that trip. That trip is a 10-day experience through Johannesburg. It also includes a luxury safari in Cape Town. That trip, most of the trip, you're staying at luxury accommodations. We stay at the Saxon Hotel now where you have butler service there. And we integrate the elements of luxury, and then we have fine dining and culturalistic experiences. So for instance, we go out with the local chef that was discovered by Anthony Bourdain, and we dine at one of his locations in a neighborhood that he grew up in. And so there's this amazing room that he's decorated with a lot of different things from South African culture and his life experiences. And so you're in this very beautiful colored room, we bring South African wine, and we have this amazing dinner spread prepared by the chef who talks about South Africa, his neighborhood growing up. And that's kind of the kickoff to this trip. And then while you're living in the laps of luxury, we also take historical tours of Nelson Mandela's home. We chat with the different guides there to learn more about what his life was like, not just in Johannesburg, but also what his life was like in the Sweet Beginnings as well as the gel in Robben Island. We also go to the Apartheid Museum and we do a private tour of Soweto to learn a lot about the civil rights moments in their history. And what's I think most interesting about South Africa is there's so many parallel things to the United States. So it's definitely a country that we relate to a lot. On this trip, we also do a high-end luxury safari. But what makes it unique is that at this safari camp, they have one of the largest rivers with a dam in South Africa that's man-made. And so you're able to sail on this double-decker boat while they prepare little snacks and cocktails. And they also have fishing in the lake. But what's probably some of the dopest things they have is they have ATV riding with buffaloes, rhinos, and zebras. So you're riding along, watching them in a group of like six to 10. So that's pretty intense. And they also have an isolated gun range where you can shoot Uzis, machine guns. That was, I've done all of it. I've done the fishing, the boat ride. I did the ATV riding, which was definitely blood pumping. But the gun experience, you don't shoot animals, by the way. Um, the gun experience was just super exhilarating to shoot the machine gun and some of the big rifles they had and the small Glocks because I had never shot a gun before. So that was definitely awesome. And that trip wraps up in Cape Town, which is definitely hands down one of the most beautiful places, I think, on earth. Their beach area, you know, has subtle reminders of being in Los Angeles without the price tag. And the food in South Africa is just absolutely amazing. So that trip is definitely by far my most favorite just because the history is on point. The cultural experiences are on 
I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes, sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation. If that sounds interesting to you, to learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now back to the episode. And the luxury is just unstoppable. Yeah, I've spent about three months in Cape Town. I agree. It's a really special place. I agree. I think it's one of the top two most naturally beautiful cities in the world. I think the only one that can compete with it is Rio in Brazil, which I think is up there as well for the same reasons. But, you know, Cape Town, you have the culinary scene, which is bonkers. I mean, I think people don't until they go, like always understand that, like you have chefs, like premier world-class chefs from around the world that are coming there and you've got, you know, Peruvian fusions stuff going on and people doing amazing stuff, the cocktail scene, like all of that. And then you have, of course, the wine country, you know, Stellenbosch and Franchuk and those, I mean, that's, yeah. that's some of the most extraordinarily beautiful wine country in the world anywhere. I mean, you and I have been, you know, through all sorts of European wine countries. And I think, you know, the South African wine country is up there with anything in the world. You agree? No, I agree. We went out to one of these vineyards and we do sunset with a private multi-course dinner. The views are just amazing. It's amazing. It literally feels like you bring in Napa, Sonoma, Malibu, in one place. It's insane. Yeah, it's amazing. And the other thing I like a lot about your offering, Claire, is that you guys are doing high-end stuff and giving people those high-end culinary experiences, those high-end wine experiences. But you're also doing the cultural stuff and interacting with local people. Like I feel like when I look at the travel space, that's the real disjuncture that I see, right? A lot of people that might, you know, side towards, you know, more budget oriented travel is also because it gives them a more local experience they perceive, right? Whereas a lot of the kind of traditional luxury travel opportunities are these sort of cliched things where you're going to go and stay in a resort on the beach and never interact with the people. And that certainly happens in South Africa. I mean, in Cape Town, there's plenty of opportunities to stay all your time on the beach and not even go into the CBD a single day and not interact with the people in in a local capacity. And you've found a way to integrate those two things and give people a rich cultural and historical experience and also, you know, all those high-end accoutrements. I think that's really quite an achievement on your part. Thank you. Thank you. And it's so funny because I think that there's this general thing that people try to say that luxury can't be cultural. And I would say, no, that's not true. Like, stop trying to, you know, stop trying to make people feel like they can't live in the laps of luxury and be engaged in cultural aspects. You can do both. Totally. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and a lot of, as you're saying, right, a lot of the 
you know, South African cultural stuff has to do with food and has to do with wine and has to do with things that you can experience on different levels. And, you know, it's just, yeah, I think you're doing awesome stuff, but you've also got these super yacht trips. Can you talk about a couple of the other things that you're doing? Cause I'm just going through your website and I'm looking at these different opportunities and I'm like, what? Like my mind is blown. So other than South Africa, I mean, what other types of things can people do? Yes. We have like an epic trip to Antarctica, which is like, wait, what? We have this epic trip to Antarctica on one of the best luxurious boats that goes there. And that's like a 10 day experience that starts in Buenos Aires, Argentina to go visit like the last frontier, which is really amazing. We also have some other amazing trips in Africa. One of our marquee trips is Egypt, one of our top sellers. And that trip you get to spend about five days on a luxury boat cruising down the Nile. But why that's important is because the history from the earliest civilizations, you get to learn about that and it's very well preserved. So you learn so much about the Nubians and the ancient Egyptians, including going to the pyramids in Cairo, as well as Aswan and Luxor when you're sailing down the river. We also have an amazing trip. Another top seller is our Accra trip in Ghana. And so that Ghana trip is very much infused with the local history from Kwame, who was one of the original leaders and one of the original speakers about Pan-Africanism. And we also go to the castles in Cape Coast. So last year was the year of return. So that was our first trip to Ghana. And um, it's definitely one of my favorite trips as well, because I was planning on moving to Ghana this summer uh, before COVID. I was planning last year to go spend an extended time there. We also do some other amazing stuff in the Seychelles, Thailand, and Croatia. We have sailing slash yachting trips where we bring our clients on a boat and we sail around in those areas. And I think the coolest thing about any type of sailing or yachting experience is you are basically on a moving hotel. You don't have to worry about transportation every day. The boat moves very smooth. It takes you to where you want to be. And you get to explore so much without the hassle of being in a car. Like I hate being on cars or even buses for long periods of time. Like to me, that's not enjoyable. So you get the kind of best of both worlds um, by being able to do that. That's amazing. Yeah, I spent about three months in West Africa last year as well, including a month in Accra. And it was just unbelievable. I have been telling everybody about it. So I completely understand like you go there and then you just want to spend as much time as possible there. I mean, I'm listing Accra as one of my top, when I have those top favorite in the world travel destinations, I'm putting Accra (laughs) right up at the top of the list. Like it was absolutely, it was truly spectacular. So I did last year, I did a month in Lagos in Nigeria. I did a month in Accra and I did a month in uh, Dakar in Senegal. And West Africa is just a really, really, really special place. But Ghana in particular, I mean, there is a vibe about Ghana that is just so (laughs) unbelievable. Like I really didn't want to leave. It's a very, very special place. Yo, I'm trying to go to Lagos, Nigeria. I want to hear more about your Lagos, Nigeria. Nigeria. Trip. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it for sure. I, I was there for a month last year. So yeah, happy to give you all of the tips on Lagos. I mean, the thing about Nigeria, like people don't understand, first of all, how huge Nigeria is, right? Mm-hmm. The continent of Africa has, I think, 56 countries on it. And 15, one five, 15% of the entire population of the continent lives in Nigeria. 
right? So it's like this massive percentage of the whole continent of Africa. Like Nigeria is like this huge place and it's the epicenter of the African music scene. It's the epicenter of the African film scene. Like they call it Nollywood, right? For the films that come out of Nigeria and like all the Afro beats that you're going to hear all over the continent. I mean, the super majority of those artists are all from Nigeria, and, and a lot of that's breaking through in the United States now as well, right? I mean, and you've got huge American artists that are now doing collabs with all these Afrobeat artists from Nigeria and stuff. So it is definitely an incredibly significant place that I think more people should definitely go to. So let me ask you this now, Claire, just kind of getting back to a little bit of the business stuff and how you personally set your mind to building a seven figure company, especially because you were going through so many challenges, you know, at that Mm -hmm. moment and you were leaving your job and you had so many personal challenges in your life. And then you just focused and set about to building a a seven figure company. So can you talk a little bit about your personal productivity techniques and your mindset techniques? Do you have morning routines? Do you structure your day? Like how are you as productive as you are to be able to achieve things at that level? That's a good one. So I have a lot of different things that I do. One is I move fast and change quickly. So let me elaborate on that. I quit often. I quit things that aren't working. I quit them fast. When I realize it's not working, I quit it and I change and I adopt to something new. So one thing, and I was actually had this down as something I want to talk about in my podcast, is why quitters win. There is this whole philosophy, philosophy they teach you, don't quit, you know, keep pushing through. Well, guess what? Some things you have to quit. So for instance, if I hire someone and it's not working out, like I've learned now to better hire, but also if it's not working out, to listen to my gut and end things. So I listen to my gut in a lot of decisions that I make. And what I've learned over the years is that you may not have all the answers, but you have that voice in the back of your head that's saying yes, no, or you need to do this, you need to do that. A lot of what I do and decisions I make is based off of gut. For my morning routines and things like that, I think a lot of listening to affirmations. So I listen to brain reprogramming a lot, at least weekly at this point. And you can go on YouTube and download brain reprogramming. It's a lot of affirmations that talk about, I am this, I am that, I am powerful, I am amazing, I am loving. And those affirmations help you to tap into your true power. Usually every morning when I wake up, I am listening to a book. So I'm listening to a book or I'm listening to something about mindset from one of my business coaches. So many of my coaches have YouTube channels or I listen to something that I'm learning, but I always do that from the moment I get up into the shower. Also, meditation is huge for me. So being able to meditate and I also have therapy. I think therapy has probably been the largest investment through therapy and I'm talking about physical therapy, mind therapy. So through therapy, it helps you understand more about who you are and why you operate the way you operate. So one thing I think that is not talked about enough is mental health issues when it comes to entrepreneurs. Like when you are an entrepreneur, you feel like you're alone and it can be very scary because you literally can go bankrupt. So you actually have to make money or you are broke. And so with therapy, I've been able to understand more like who I am, why I operate the way I do. And also it's helping me to be a better partner in business and a better leader and manager 
So I think therapy is definitely one of them. I think honestly, a lot of my success, a lot of it is being able to leverage the skills that I learned in corporate combined with investing in myself. So I've invested in myself just in quarantine alone. I've spent 15,000 on programs, coaches, consultants to work with me. So the thing I keep telling people is people want to get a microwave answer. They want to go on YouTube. Let me tell you, YouTube doesn't have all your answers when you're trying to get to seven figures. Maybe you get enough answers to get to a certain point. But at some point, if you're trying to build a multi-million dollar business, you need to have a business coach or you need to be in a membership program with the community so you can basically short circuit your way to success through the right connections, knowing what websites to use. There's websites to do so many things that people don't even know that they're doing something totally basic, right? Like there's online proposal systems that make your proposals look like they're on 10 versus a simple PDF. It's little things like that, that if you're not in the right circles, you're not doing the most. And if you're not doing the most, people aren't impressed. And the other thing I would say, the last thing, and there's a lot, I can go on and on, is to really make sure that you're in a circle of friends or business, they call them business besties. Make sure you're in a circle of people doing better than you, people that are achieving what you'd like to achieve. The biggest mistake I think I made in the early days is listening to other people who weren't entrepreneurs or weren't doing what anything close to what I want. And to give you an example is you'll have your friends tell you, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And it's great to get their opinion, but at the end of the day, if they have not done what you're trying to accomplish or if they're not entrepreneurs, it's easy for them to say on the other end that you should do this or you should do that. Now, obviously you need to be wise in who you're listening to. If this is someone who's a client and they have taken your service, then obviously they are giving you valid input. So you need to listen to your clients. But if this is someone just looking on the outside and they're not a client and they're just going off of whatever, you need to just be mindful of how you move. Can you talk a little bit about your coaching program? You mentioned that a little bit earlier and I wanted to be able to, you know, allow you to sort of extrapolate on how you've structured that and how you work with entrepreneurs now and what you offer. Absolutely. So my coaching program is called the seventh level coaching program. And this coaching program, what it is, is it's seven phases that helps entrepreneurs starting with kind of understanding who you are is the first phase as well as putting together what your package is for your service. So understanding who you are, packaging your services together, and then understanding who your competitors are as well. And then we get into phase two and three, we really center on for people that have online businesses, we need to make sure that your online website and your Instagram is popping. It is clear, you have content, and that in both platforms, you have a meaningful way to connect to your ideal customer. And then we implement that together and get press around it. And so I teach people how to set all that up as well as how to get press, how to make sure that you have processes to meet with clients. So you have a proper online intake form and that form has a welcome email that people get. I can't tell you how many websites, if you go to, you'll fill out a form and you get nothing back but silence and crickets. And so making sure that my clients have unique and meaningful engagements with their clients. And then we move on to phase four where I help them really make their customer experience great and their community great. 
And so one of the reasons why my company was able to grow is that we have online Facebook communities. We have over 20,000 people now in the community. And then we also have an amazing customer experience. I spend the most of my time thinking about how to make that client experience great. And when I say client experience, I mean, from the moment they buy, what does that look like? What does their email they get back look like? What are we sending them, if anything, before the trip? And how do we make each day on the trip special? And what surprises do we include? So helping them make that experience be a memorable experience. And then the last phases of my program is really to help people outsource their team. So how do you build your dream team? Building a dream team or a team for any matter is probably one of the most difficult steps that entrepreneurs have because building a team is where you get into scaling. And that is going to make your company sustainable if you have systems and people that can actually start to do things so things move without you. And so we walk people through how to hire, how to manage, how to train. And so that's a whole process that entrepreneurs who are solopreneurs now, but if you want to get to a point where you're not working those 40 to 60 hours, you have to start building systems. You have to document your processes. And so I help people do that. And so that's the full program, which I didn't feel when I was an entrepreneur, I had various coaches along the way and various programs that I went into. And so when I did my program, I wanted to focus on that process from the beginning to the end. So you can cover as much landscape to really get someone in a solid position that they can attract their ideal customer, provide an amazing experience. And then by providing that amazing experience, you're going to help them grow quickly off of word of mouth and their social media. That's amazing. And I think it is really fortunate for a lot of entrepreneurs now that you're able to offer that level of coaching. And because you mentioned that that sort of coincided with some of the downtime now in terms that COVID is causing in the travel industry. So people are able to sort of access your expertise at a level that perhaps they were not, you know, just last year. So I think that's a really, really cool opportunity, both a pivot for you and an opportunity for entrepreneurs to work with you. But I, I looked on your website and I noticed you already have sort of 2021, you know, trip itineraries and things like that. So for people right now that are interested in considering some of your travel experiences well into the future, I mean, it can be like a year from now or whenever people are going to feel safe traveling again, you've still got things that are up on your website that people can start at least browsing through and starting to kind of, you know, get their their travel list rekindled for, for the future, right? Absolutely. Yeah. One thing is we're always ahead of the game. We released our 2021 right before COVID. So we had already started selling it. And with COVID, it just forced us to basically reschedule the majority of trips to 2021. So it's on, it's popping, and it's already ready for them to book. That's so amazing. That's awesome. Claire, all right. Are you ready to move in to the final part of the interview, the lightning round? Born ready. Let's go. Let's do it. All right, Claire, what is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years you'd most recommend people check out? Oh, easily The Four Agreements, hands down. The Four Agreements will help you get out of your way when it comes to business and life in general. What is one travel hack that you use that you can recommend to people? Uh, One of my big travel hacks. So I prefer to fly in business class, but sometimes if I don't want to splurge at the moment, I'll buy flights that have a lot of business seats open, and then I'll upgrade 24 hours before the flight. 
at a really reduced cost. And so some of the airlines that do this is uh, United Airlines has to do this. They do this a lot. South Africa Airlines and I believe Emirates has a bidding process. So I basically price what the normal business is and then I bid on it or upgrade in the time frame before to score a business class ticket. Nice. All right. Who is one person that you've never met currently alive today that you would most love to have a one-on-one dinner and conversation with? Definitely Kelly Edwards. I've talked to her a couple times and we've been conversing over the last year and we just haven't been able to meet, but I'm really, really looking forward to meeting her. Can you share a little bit about who she is just for people that don't know? Yes. So Kelly Edwards is the first Black woman to have a travel show that she's like the main cast member. And she can fly an airplane. She also can scuba dive. I believe she also flies helicopters. She does all type of adventure type things like hiking. She's pretty phenomenal. That's amazing. All right, Claire, you have tasted a lot of wines around the world. I'd actually love also to sort of include in this question, I want to ask you what your favorite wine is, but I also want to ask if you want to share a particular wine tasting experience that you may have had that really stands out and where that was. Probably my favorite has to be Gloria Ferrer in the United States. They are located in Sonoma. And their wine tasting room is very, very beautiful. It overlooks this amazing pasture or field on a huge hill. So I highly recommend to go out there. Gloria Ferrer is a Spanish wine. And they actually make, you go to the grocery store, Friesnet, F-E-R-X-I-T or whatever it's spelled. But Gloria Ferrer is quite amazing. They make bubbly. And my favorite bubbly that they make is their Blanc Noir, which I like. But I mean, obviously I like champagne, (laughs) (laughs) Any type of champagne, (laughs) almost. But that's definitely my favorite vineyard. But my favorite wine is definitely a Pinotage from South Africa, hands down. Nice. Yeah, I've heard about your uh, champagne trips that you run over to France. That must be another one. And you do champagne and cognac on the same trip. Is that right? Yes. And I didn't even talk about that. The food and wine trips are definitely like my favorites as well. And that champagne trip is in the Champagne region of France as well as cognac. And it's super cool because we rent out one of the caves in Moet and we have this amazing six course dinner there paired with vintage champagne. Vintage champagne is like champagne aged over eight years, sometimes more. So it's like the best bubbly you've ever had. The food's amazing and we walk and we do a black tie event. So just imagine like everyone in black tie and these long gowns. We've got the R&B hip hop flowing. We've got the food and Magnum bottles, big bottles of champagne uh, by the, the host that's there in a tuxedo who's pouring it. It's pretty epic. Not to mention going to Hennessy. It blows your mind. Most Americans who like brown liquor, like Hennessy is it. So we go into Hennessy. You get to learn all about Hennessy. It's also made from grapes which is awesome. And we also hit up Remy as well and do an intimate tasting there. So definitely I would say the Remy tasting was also amazing too, because they do their tasting with sweets. And I never thought that that cognac goes well with sweets, but it does. That's amazing. You know, so I went through the French wine country with some friends for about a month, two summers ago, and we went to the Dinée en Blanc event in Paris 
which was like the 30th anniversary, right? The the elegant white party. And then we went to a wine festival in Bordeaux, which they do once every two years. And then we drove the Route de Grand Cru in Burgundy and went all through the, you know, drinking Pinot Noirs all through Burgundy. And it was just insane. Like the French wine country is just really bonkers when you go through those old world, you know, wine countries and especially out in Burgundy where you're talking about like medieval towns and wine vineyards that have been there for thousands of years. And it's just crazy, but I have never been to any of those regions that you just described and your events just sound Amazing. I mean, like a hip hop wine party is like my dream come true. I mean, that sounds and everybody's in black tie. I mean, it's like that's like I mean, it's like you've designed like I mean, that's it's amazing. I love it. I love everything that I'm hearing from you. That's so incredible. All right. This is supposed to be the lightning round. So I'm, I'm detracting us a little bit from that, but, but well worthwhile, though, because we can talk about wine tastings for quite some time. All right, Claire, of all of the places that you have traveled in the world, what are your top three? all-time favorite travel destinations? Oh, that's easy. Top three, South Africa. I'm moving there a little bit for a stint next year to Thailand because the beaches, the people, the accommodations are on 10. And then Italy, because there's so much to do in Italy. I remember, you know, like you said, there's so many towns you don't know of. I remember going to a small village called Assisi. And I remember I went to the small town and my heart was so... It was just melting and butterflies all around me when I went to Assisi. So Italy, for sure, hands down, is my number three. That's amazing. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations, places you've never been that are the highest on your list you most want to go? Oh, man. So I would say definitely Nigeria, Lagos. Ever since quarantine, ever since thinking about going to South Africa, I've been watching a lot of movies and I watched a movie that was filmed in Lagos. So I definitely want to spend some time in Lagos. So Nigeria. The second one would be Antarctica. And I am going there next December. We got a group. We're rolling like 30 people deep plus. So definitely Antarctica is like the last continent for me. And then the other place that I want to go is I want to do these igloos in Finland where you could see the northern lights. Definitely want to do that. Mm, that's amazing. That's so awesome. <laughs> All right, Claire, we have come to the final and most important question of the lightning round, where I am going to ask you a question that I understand you have not answered in public before. So this is going to be breaking news. I'm going to ask you your top five hip-hop MCs of all time. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Go ahead. Who are your top five? Top five hip-hop MCs. In this order, Jay-Z, Lil' Kim, Notorious B.I.G., Tupac, and Cardi B. That's my top five. Last answer. Wow. That's amazing. And you did them in order. You know, I will tell you that of all of my guests that I've asked this question to, the super majority of them preface their answer by saying in no particular order, and they're not willing to rank them. But I, you may be the first guest that has done a clear one through five ranking. So well done and good picks. <laughs> Thank you. What's your top five in any order? Oh, oh, you're going to go there. So I will tell you this. I just, this was actually, <laughs> I just went uh, right before COVID in February to a hip hop party that turned out to be a top five hip hop party. Here's what I mean by that. My homie that was organizing it, shout out to DJ Ilche, 
asked me, he's like, who are your top five, right? And we have these kind of discussions all the time. And to be honest, I mean, mine change a little bit, right? I mean, I, I kind of vary them up a little bit. Like, they're not entirely solidified. Like, I'll start listening to more of one thing, and I'll be like, mm, maybe I'll put that in there. So he just asked me, he's like, he's like, okay, today, who are your top five? So I give him. He's like, okay, cool. I was like, why? He's like, I'm not going to tell you. I was like, okay. So I flew out. This was outside Chicago in Rockford, Illinois. They were doing this hip-hop party, right? And we had, like, there's like four DJs. Two of them were flying in. Shout out to DJ Million, DJ T-Rex, who flew in from Texas to DJ there as well. And it was this big event. So what Ilcha had done, he has asked all of us who our top five MCs were. And then he made T-shirts for each of us with our top five MCs on the front of the T-shirt. So everybody's walking around with this party with their T-shirts on with who their top five are, right? Oh I mean, God. what a great party theme, right? So for that one, I picked Biggie. Mm -hmm. I picked Nas. I picked Guru from Gangstar. Okay. And then I picked Mr. Cheeks from Lost Boys. Okay. And then I put Tretch from Naughty by Nature as my five. Okay. Okay. I yeah, like it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. That was the five. And I'll be honest with you. I kind of vary those up a little bit, but I wanted to get a little bit, you know, throw in some folks that other people might not have on their top five shirts. You know what I'm saying? So that's not to exclude anyone, you know, or anything else. I got a lot of respect for a lot of artists. And I, you know, I was a hip hop DJ from 1991 to 1999, which really was, I got so lucky, you know, that, that I mean, that was just the golden era in my opinion, I don't think that hip hop was before or after the same as it was. It was a really, really special time in that era. So all of my MCs, even if they shake up, they're all going to be New York City, East Coast, and they're all going to be from the 90s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like, what do you do you like? Like, what's your favorite artists that are out like now that have released the album in the last year? I mean, Nas just released an album last week. Can I count that? <laughs> <laughs> Things have definitely changed. I'll tell you that. I mean, I'll tell you what, but but some people like that are still coming strong. Jay-Z obviously is still coming strong, you know, with his stuff. So some of these folks have been able to have some longevity. I mean, look, I respect a lot of the new people in the space, J. Cole and people that I have a lot of respect for the new artists. So, I mean, to be very honest, for me, hip hop was also what raised my social and political consciousness uh -huh. as a white kid growing up in the suburbs. I got a hold of Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet in mm -hmm. around middle school. Mm, okay. And I will oftentimes name Chuck D in my top five as well. I mean, he's somebody that significantly impacted both my love for hip hop as well as my sort of social and political consciousness, right? Because I got that album and I just started asking questions about why have I not heard about the things these guys are talking about and the people that they're citing and referring to and all this kind of stuff, like what's going on? I started asking questions in school in my history classes, right? Mm -hmm. So I have a huge respect for the conscious rap, you know, like the Talib Kweli and Most Def and, and Common and like a lot of the people that have really come into the space and producing amazing music, but also like really have been substantive and, and politically conscious. Like I have a huge respect for all that. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are doing really good stuff in the space that I have love and appreciation for, for sure. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Claire, let's wrap this up. I want you to be able to tell folks how they can connect with you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can learn about your coaching program opportunity and how they can learn about your trips. Awesome. So you can connect with me online at www.upintheairlife.com and also on Instagram 
at upintheairlife.com. And my personal brand is Claire B. Soares, C-L-A-I-R-E-B-Soares, S-O-A-R-E-S on Instagram. Amazing. That's it. Amazing. Claire, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you here. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.